So already, right from the beginning, we see a child who God has given as a, as a reward, as a gift for Hannah's uh, prayers. And we see a boy, a boy, a young boy, already serving at the altar. And you may, if you went to Sunday school like I did, you may know very well the story of when Samuel is called by God in the night as a boy. He hears somebody calling his name and he rushes to Eli and says, you called? And Eli says, I didn't call, go back to bed. And he comes again and stands a few times. And Eli then, the penny drops. And he realises that the boy Samuel is hearing the audible voice of God. And we know from the text that this is not a time when people heard from God. It's a time of... uh, dryness spiritually. We've already seen people were turned from God. People were uh, doing all sorts of things. Uh, They were ignoring God. They were being willfully disobedient. And the word of the Lord, it says, was not, it was rare in those times. People weren't hearing from God. They weren't prophets. And Samuel hears God audibly speak to him as a young boy. And in fact, at that point, God gives Samuel a very weighty, prophetic message for him to deliver. And right from there, It says at the end of 1 Samuel 3, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. It's a big change. There's a big sea change here uh, in the story. We've come from this awful period. If you read Judges, it's just, it is depressing, let me tell you. Awful. Um... The, the last chapter particularly, if you want to go away and look at it, I intend you to go look at it. It's, it's just an awful, desperate situation, a horrible story of darkness. And it's into this that then we see Samuel come and God picks him out and speaks to him from a young age. And he becomes the hero, the leader uh, that Israel badly needs. After that, we have a brilliant section in the beginning of 1 Samuel. Again, go away and read it. It's a, there's a thing about golden tumours. If, you, if that doesn't make you think, eh, then go away and read it. Uh, there's, a, again, awful stories of the Philistines, who Israel's arch enemy. Uh, they're just whooping the butts of the Israelites. Every time there's a battle, the Philistines prevail. Israel are nowhere. They can't win against their enemies. God is not with them in the battle. Uh, and they even lose the Ark of the Covenant the very place where God dwells amongst them, the very sign of his glory. They wheel it out like a trophy at the battle, and it's captured, which is the most horrendous and unthinkable thing that could have happened for them. And it did. The Philistines capture it. And all of that happens in the early parts of 1 Samuel that we don't really have time to go into any further. And that leads up to what we're going to look at now, which is in chapter 7, which is a, a story. You might call it Samuel's first victory. Samuel has become the great leader that Israel so badly needed. And uh, one of the things we'll find about Samuel, and I suspect we might talk about this as we go through the series, is that he's a remarkable character in many ways. He's a prophet, as we've already said, and that means he hears from God for the people. So the word of God is coming directly from the prophet to his people, and this has been lacking. He's also a priest, which means he represents the people before God. He goes before God for the people. So he's a priest and a prophet. He's also talked of as a judge. So at the end of the period of the judges, he's the last judge. He's got a lot of hats, this guy. He's he's the remarkable leader that Israel needs. And he also, you may know, becomes the man through whom God appoints and anoints the first king 
of Israel and the second king of Israel. So Samuel becomes the man who will uh, select, with God's help, the first king, King Saul, and then also King David. So he really is, as as you can see, a pivotal guy in the history of the people of Israel. Well, we're going to look at this little story in chapter 7. And Samuel says to the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So what the people really need is they need victory. They need to stop being beaten and oppressed by the Philistines. And they're turning to Samuel and saying, you need to help us. So he says, this is how you do it. How you do it is obedience. You put away the false gods. You put away the practices that you've embraced that are against God. And he will deliver you. So they respond. They respond well. They put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth. They're different gods that they were worshipping from amongst the nations. So Samuel said, gather all Israel in this part, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard the people of Israel had gathered, the lords of the Philistines went up. So the Philistines are seeing this enormous gathering, all the people of Israel. They're probably thinking, hey, oh, there's an army gathering. We'll go up and take a preemptive strike. So the people of Israel hear of it. They are afraid. They're afraid, unsurprisingly. They haven't got a great track record. The Philistines are bigger and better and mightier and they have better weapons. The people of Israel say to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb, offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord, and Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. So not only does God answer by giving them a military victory, he actually does something miraculous and just causes this terrifying sound which confuses the Philistines. They all go running in all sorts of directions, and the men of Israel pursue the Philistines and strike them as far as below Bethkar, which is presumably some way. And Samuel sets up a stone and Ebenezer in memory of this event. So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter the territory of Israel. Hurrah! And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to them. Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. And not only was there victory against the Philistines, there was also peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. What a relief for the people of Israel. Samuel steps into the picture. And God, in his mercy, provides this incredible leader. We're going to look a little bit about um, why he's incredible. So for us, sorry if I'm quick, I hope you're still with me. Some challenges and encouragements for us from this story. Firstly, just to say, the story itself is encouraging, I hope. The story itself is fantastic. And if you, when you read through the Bible and you read the history, the thread of the story of God's faithfulness through, through the history with his people, the story itself is good enough. It's incredible to see 
God never puts down his plan. God never forsakes his people. Now we see in these stories all sorts of awful episodes. Uh, God's response to the people's disobedience, to the people's mixing of their worship, he responds by withdrawing his blessing, withholding his blessing. And we see them get defeated uh, time after time after time. But God never breaks his promises. God never stops short of his promise. I will bless you and make you a blessing. The, bless, the promise he gave to Abraham, he gives to us. And throughout the whole of the history of his interaction with this world, that promise remains. So I hope the story itself is just one in, uh, in a great arc of story where God just never stops. God does not stop being faithful to his promise. And Samuel is the vehicle for that on this occasion. But what do we see? We see um, the people of Israel get a pretty bad press at this point. They've really mucked it up big time, uh, as you can see. You know, the, the text doesn't mince its words. But their response, when Samuel calls them, remember when that weird bit where it says uh, they poured out, draw water and poured it out before the Lord. So it's a, it's a sign of humility. They've humbled themselves, fasted and said, we have sinned, acknowledged their failure. And throw themselves on God's mercy in humility. And repentance is something we talk about uh, as we come to Christ for the first time. If you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then Jesus declares uh, through the Gospels and, and the New Testament declares throughout, you must repent. You must repent. And what that means is you must turn from those ways that offend God and that mix God with other things that are not of him. You must turn from those and follow him. Repent and put your trust in Jesus. But you know, repentance is also something that should uh, characterise the life of a believer. It's not done and dusted, is it, at our conversion. You know, these, these guys are the people of God. They know they are. They are the people of Israel. But they have been disobedient. And they have, by their own doing, put themselves outside of blessing and victory. And they need to repent. And we often need to repent. This is a, just a scripture of uh, the Apostle Paul's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. This is the New Testament. He says, I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. So sorrow, godly sorrow and repentance is fitting for us. And uh, either when... Somebody, in this case Samuel, a leader, uh, or a leader here, or somebody you know, maybe calls out in your life things that they see are not commensurate with your faith. That's not really right. You're mixing a bit there. Do you really think that that behaviour, or that way of life, or that way of thinking is commensurate with your professed faith as a follower of Jesus? Then our response to that should be repentance. So admissions, godly sorrow and repentance... People were talking about the Catalyst Festival earlier. I went, I had a great time. The thing about being in lots and lots of meetings where people are worshipping and pe uh, people are preaching prophetically and the Spirit of God is at work, is can be quite dangerous because God will speak to you and uh, call things out. And I really, I felt particularly at the festival that God pinpointed in my life um, some things that he wants to change, some things that are going to require repentance. And I'm working through those. And... Um, that's got to be our response. We have got to, unless we think we're already there, folks, unless you think you are already the full deal, then our lives have got to be characterised by coming back in repentance 
And right alongside repentance is obedience. So the people of Israel, they repent. Samuel calls it out and they, they repent. They fast. They humbly say, God, we need you. And they respond now in obedience. They put away those false gods. Samuel says, well, if you are turning to the Lord, let's see it. Just put your money where your mouth is. Put away those things. Put away those practices that don't honour God. Now, you may not have a wooden idol on your mantelpiece that you worship. You may not, you know, smelted down all your jewellery and made a golden calf. But there, there will be things in our lives, often there are things where we just allow ourselves to be tainted by practices or, or ways of thinking, things around us, people around us. It's almost inevitable, isn't it? We, like the Israelites at this time, live among the nations. We're not separate. We're not in some holy huddle out in the desert. We're, we're surrounded by people and by the world. And we often get tainted. And so our response, have I gone too far again, is obedience. And this is a very famous verse also from the book of 1 Samuel. This is Samuel speaking later on to King Saul. You may know this, it's quoted elsewhere in the Bible. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? The answer is no. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen is better than the fat of rams. And this refers to the fact that Saul, in this story, later on, has performed the outward show of following God. He's done the right thing, and yet he hasn't. He's not really obeyed. He specifically, in fact, in this instance, specifically disobeys something God says. And Samuel says, you can offer the offerings, you can do all the stuff, God... He wants your heart and he sees your heart and an obedient heart. I hope you want to have an obedient heart. I so want to have an obedient heart to God. And when you say that up here, that's dangerous because people will hold me accountable and that's what we all need. To be repentant when necessary and to continue in obedience. And the last thing, of course, is prayer. Now, a big central part of this story is prayer. Samuel says, don't worry, I will pray for you. And they're there, and they hear the Philistines are gathering, and they shout to Samuel, don't stop, don't stop praying for us. So he's sacrificing the lamb, he's praying, he's pressing in. It says he didn't stop crying out to the Lord, and the Lord answered them. And two quick applications, I think, for us here. One is that we need to pray. I think this is clear. We've been talking a lot about prayer here at City Hope now for a long time. We've got another opportunity this week to pray together, to seek God. Samuel didn't, he didn't stop crying out, pressing in, calling to God for his purposes. And that's what we need to do. This is, there are, you, you want to pick a quote about prayer from the Bible, you have a lot to choose from. But I love this. This is from Psalm 145. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. If that's not good enough motive for you to go home and pray today, I don't know what is. The Lord is near when you call on him. He fulfills your desires if you fear him and he hears your cry and saves you. And also, the, the other lovely thing which I want to finish on, which my husband during the Catalyst Festival feedback time stole my point rather, now, which is good because God is saying the same thing to him as he is to me which is quite nice, <laughs> is, uh, is the picture that Samuel here is for us of our priest. 
Now Samuel, we said at the beginning, he, he's a priest, he's a prophet, he's a judge, he's the guy who gets to anoint and appoint the first king of Israel when Israel turns and says, want a king like everyone else. God gives them what they want and Samuel is there at the centre. But, just as Samuel is the one there crying out for the people, we have a priest. As Paul said earlier, we have a priest in Jesus Christ because he is not only priest and prophet and judge, he's king as well. He's king of kings. He's the whole package, isn't he? And so often as you go through the Old Testament and you see these great heroes of faith, they all in some way shadow Jesus. There's a lovely little excerpt of a video. I'm going to post it on social media this week for you to see. Tim Keller teaching about the Bible. I shared it with a couple of people. I shared it with Ruth before. Tim Keller's talking about the Bible. It's very short and he speaks really, really fast, so you have to listen. But he just goes through all these characters. Jesus is the new and better Abraham. He's the new and better Moses. He's the new and better Samuel. He's the new and better David. On he goes through and you see the way that these people shadow, but so imperfectly, the perfect Jesus. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. He's our priest. He's the one who not only um, is a a prophet, is the judge, is the king. He's our priest. He's your priest. He stands before God and represents you. And this is why sometimes when we ignore them, Ascension, and we get trying to get our heads around the fact that that Jesus is in a heavenly place in a physical body, and we don't really understand that, and that's okay. But one of the wonderful things about it, when we do grasp it, is this: that He's there, He's our priest, right in the throne room, not like Samuel. Samuel killed the lamb. Jesus was the lamb. Jesus is the lamb. He's not sacrificing now before the Father. To win favour. He's done it, hasn't he? He gave himself. He was the lamb. And yet, the Bible tells us, again in Hebrews, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession. So we read, all the time of Samuel, God protected the people of Israel, kept the Philistines out of their way. Uh, through Samuel's lifetime, all was well. Well, I tell you what, Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. We said earlier, he is risen forever glorified. The glorified, risen, ascended, physical Lord Jesus is in the heavenly place interceding for you and me. And I just, I, I'm going to pray for us in a minute because I just think if we can, if God by his spirit would just show us how wonderful that is. It's just going to be such a comfort and encouragement to us as we pray as Paul said earlier, Jesus is praying with us and for us. It's a mystery, isn't it? See, even now, some of you are going, hold on a minute, <laughs> that sounds a bit weird. He's there interceding for us. He's our high priest. It's one of the many things. We talked about Samuel having a lot of hats. It's one of the many things the Lord Jesus is for us. Our saviour, our lover, the Bible says, our big brother. Yeah, he's, our, he's the sacrifice that atoned for us and he's our high priest. Just this little quote from Martin Luther to finish. In his life, Christ is an example showing us how to live. In his death, he is a sacrifice satisfying our sins. In his resurrection, a conqueror. In his ascension, a king. In his intercession, a high priest. Christ is all and in all. He is everything to us, isn't he? He's the whole package. 
And just as we close, if you've never come to a point in your life where you have said, I want to put aside everything else for the privilege of following Jesus, for the privilege of knowing the blessing of God on my life, in order to surrender my life to Jesus so that I can live in his ways and not mine. That's what repentance is. That's what coming to faith in Christ looks like. And it wins for you, because Jesus has won for you, complete freedom, complete peace, where it really counts. What it doesn't do for you, I feel, what it doesn't do is necessarily give you an easy life. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying gives you peace with God um, and eternal hope that you can find nowhere else. So if you've not ever done that, and therefore you don't really know what all that I've just said was all about, don't worry, do come and speak to me or one of the leaders you've seen up here this morning. We'd love to just chat through that with you. Okay, folks, can we just can we get to our feet to pray just to make sure we're not too sleepy? Just gonna pray quickly and then it's time to, to collect our kids. Father, I want to thank you today for uh, the gospel. I want to thank you for the truth of the life saving good news of Jesus Christ yes. that is written all through your scripture. All through, every story we read of your faithfulness to your people from beginning to end of the Bible points to the good news that a Messiah, a King, Jesus Christ, will come and fulfil all the things that we need in a leader and in hope and in a saviour and in a priest and a prophet. King of kings, Lord Jesus. We thank you that as we look in your word, Lord, we are just, we are built up, we are encouraged and we are fed. And I want to pray today as these people go now to their lunch in their homes and their families and their work. Lord, that 